0: Uh, hello, Fight fans. Once again, welcome to episode number 258 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. It's that time. This is TNC 258 for the week of March 20th. And of course, as always, I remind you guys, well, first, I am your host, Michael Montero, obviously, for the Or oh, I'm sorry, the TheRingMagazine, RingTV.com, and The Ring Digital YouTube channel. As you can tell, I'm a little flustered. I'm still uh, recovering from the travel back from Dallas. It was a great trip. I had a lot of fun, met so many of you guys at the fights. It it was so great to be out and about again with fight fans and to not be at work. You know, I was in Miami a couple of weeks ago at a great event. Uh, Say what you will about the fight between Canelo and Yildirim, but it was a good event. And there was a lot of fans. There was a lot of fun, good atmosphere. But I was in the bubble. I was working, you know, you know, I'm doing my thing, right? But this trip in Dallas, I was there with my wife and we were just hanging out as fans. I did a little bit of work Friday night, covered that rung side card, which we'll talk about here in a in a few minutes. And um it was just cool to be out with you guys and meet so many of you from all over the country and really from all over the world. And it was a fun, positive environment. And we got an amazing main event, which we'll talk all about on this show. What's crazy is that the night was – there was emotional highs and lows because just before the card, we found out about the death of marvelous Marvin Hagler and everybody in the crowd was sad. I met so many guys that you could tell they were on the verge of tears just talking about it. And I know that Doug Fisher wrote about it in his Monday mailbag that um, he was holding back tears ringside. And I know he wasn't alone. There there was a bunch of people um, just in in media – And in all parts of the boxing community that were kind of emotional that night because uh, he was young, man. He was 66 years old. Guys, that's young. That's very, very young in this uh, this time of age. Um, So it was just sad. And then uh, I think the fighters wanted to honor him, obviously honor their fans, their, their legacies, their countries, all of it. And it just culminated in this wonderful, wonderful fight that we're already emotional, and then you get that. And then, of course, you get a terrible scorecard. And unfortunately, that's what we've been talking about a lot. So so I'll jump into all that on this show. We're going to have, a, I'm, I'm a guessing, a lot of calls today. So uh, phone lines are open. You guys see the phone numbers there behind me. Like I said, Brandon Lee was supposed to be on the show today, but I think uh, they're having tech difficulties. So if we don't get him on this week, it's all good. We'll get him on soon. Of course, he just had a great win last Wednesday. All right, news and notes. Marvin Hagler dies last Saturday at the age of 66 years old. What can you say about him as a fighter, as a man, as a human being? If more human beings had the integrity uh, of this man, we'd be in such a better place in our society. You know, there's a million stories I could tell Perhaps I'll save that for a different video, because I feel like I could do an hour-long video talking about him. But really, really quickly, guys, you know, of course, the record, 62-3-2, 52 knockouts. International Boxing Hall of Fame was voted in in 92 and um, entered in uh, the ceremony in 1993. Fighter of the Year twice, I think in 83 and 85. I think he was Sports Illustrated Fighter of the Decade for the 1980s. Just a highly accomplished fighter perhaps the greatest middleweight ever, certainly among the top two or three. And in an era where we see so many fighters bouncing around different divisions to win a interim title here, a regular title there, a super title there, a diamond title over here, he stayed in one division. And yes, the, the best fights he had were against fighters moving up in weight. I understand that, but those were all time greats moving up in weight. Uh, the the fights that he had with some of the best fighters ever, yeah, of course, the, the four Kings, right? The, the the greats of that era. We talk about Hagler. We talk about Hearns, Leonard, Duran. There's a lot of talk about the four Kings now. One of you guys on Twitter, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, your handle, but uh, you call yourself, uh, or you said that it was the four, what we, what we have right now are the four uh, Kings of social media. That's exactly what we have. Um, it's kind of sad how things have uh, fallen off, right? Uh, but, His wife, Kay, I just want to hit on this really, really quickly, okay? Um, There's been a lot of conjecture about how Marvin Hagler died. A rumor got started that it was related to the COVID vaccine. Those rumors have been uh, uh, just completely dissed by the family, okay? But his wife, Kay, said, uh, our family requests that you respect our privacy during this difficult time. So that's all I'm really going to say about it. Let's not it, it, this isn't about how he died or why he died or anything like that. It's about the fact that he died. And, and maybe I feel this way because I recently lost a very very close family member who has been my best friend for my entire life. It's really not about how he died, why he died. Like like all that can wait, guys. Let's just talk about the man and let's respect the family and their privacy. So I've seen a lot of posts and even articles written about, uh, you know, was it this? Was it that? You shouldn't be talking about this. Talking about everyone just stop. This is about the man, the legacy, the family. Everyone's thoughts should be with the Hagler family right now. Everything else, leave it to the damn side and wait. All right. I will say this much because it has been confirmed by the family and then I'm going to leave it alone. His son, James, said that Marvin was taken to the hospital Saturday morning. He was having chest pains and breathing heavy, having uh, difficulty breathing. Okay, that's all the family's talked about. That's all that's been substantiated. Other than that, it's rumors and conjecture. So so stop with all that. Again, this is not about politics, what side of this debate you're on with the vaccine and all this crap. It's about Obviously, an amazing fighter, but by all accounts, an amazing human being, and that's what we need to be talking about—the legacy of this great man. Super chat pledge from Chris Bergen. Thank you so much. He says, "Hey, Mike, great news about AJ versus Fury. I know, man. Breaking news. Like, like I'm taking my notes for the show, and there's so much stuff to discuss. And then that hits. So obviously, I'm going to get to that here in a minute." Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, Hamed adds that, uh, Tommy Hearns went through six weight classes. That's right. And and so did Leonard and Duran fought in a bunch of weight classes. So, you know, some people diss Hagler's resume because he only stayed at middleweight and he fought smaller guys and stuff like that. But man, he was the middleweight champion. Middleweight is one of the original eight divisions guys. It goes back centuries, literally centuries. Some of the absolute greatest fighters of all time have fought in that division. And I think that a lot of young fans just don't have that historical reference. And um, not even there's a lot of older fans that, that haven't read books and haven't studied up on this shit either. So it's not just young fans. I shouldn't say that I take that back. I'm a young fan. I'm only 41 years old, okay? So um, the thing is, guys, again, a lot of fighters bounce around in different divisions now. It's real easy to go pluck a title here and pluck a title there, especially with the WBA and the WBC and all the fuckery that that they engage in. It's pretty easy. We see a lot of fighters do that, right? But to stay in one division, especially a a storied division like the middleweight division, and clean it out and be seen as the man in that division and have the integrity that Hagler had. I mean, you've all heard the story of his handlers when they got to seven figure paydays. I'll briefly tell this one. You know, they they said, Look, we're just going to take a percentage now of your purse because we weren't making that much money before, but now we're getting seven figures. So let's just cut it. Because usually it's a certain percentage, right? Well, now that we're at seven figures, we're just going to cut it off like a flat fee because we don't want to take too much. And, he said, and Hagler basically said, what the hell are you talking about? You guys have been with me all the way. I've been with you all the way. You're going to get the same damn cut you always got. I'm eating better. You're eating better, too. How many fighters right now can you think of that feel that way? I, I it's it's tough to even name one to be honest with you guys. So uh, that's just a little bit of insight into the man that this person was, not just fighter. So uh, just again, a, a massive loss, obviously for the boxing community, <clears throat> but for humanity at large. All right, let's talk about some good news. Uh, the fight between Jamel Herring and Carl Frampton has a, is official for April third in Dubai. I like this fight, man. I like this fight. And and the best thing about it, I like fights that build to fights. I like fights that build to bigger fights. The winner of this fight, their mandatory is Shakur Stevenson. But then, of course, there's other fighters that they could take on. They could give, give Stevenson some uh, step-aside money and go after Oscar Valdez, especially if it's, it's herring, because, of course, they're all with top ranks. So, there are imp- large implications for this fight down the road at one thirty. That's why I'm very excited to to check that one out. And Jamel Herring's just a good dude. Uh, I've always been a fan of his. All right, let's uh, get into this uh, AJ versus Fury thing. Okay, so it was kind of announced today a little bit on ESPN. It's not like there was this huge grand announcement, but it was basically I think Mark Kriegel wrote an article. And he didn't even really announce this deal. He basically said, I talked to a guy who talked to a guy and here's a quote and everything else. So apparently there's going to be two fights, which I told you, you guys, that if these two are going to fight, they're going to fight at least two or three times. Don't be surprised if they end up fighting three times and then the winner ends up somewhere down the line fighting Deontay Wilder, if he's even still boxing a couple of years from now. Very, very possible. And some of you guys don't like rematch clauses and you don't like these big deals where there's two or three fights packaged in. I get it. You have to understand, especially when you're dealing with multiple networks, that's just the era we live in, guys. That's that's what you're going to get. You're going to get... It's the same thing with uh, Canelo and Golovkin. When that thing was announced, I told you the way that deal was structured. That's how this was going to be basically a heavyweight version of that, right? All these big fights, if... And I, this is a huge if if Errol Spence ever agrees to fight Terrence Crawford, which I don't think he ever will, but if he does, that's going to be the same thing. We're just going to be a multi-fight deal built into that. Uh, That's just the era that we live in, in in boxing. Okay. So don't get mad at the two fight deal. I think that's um, just where we live in boxing right now. And I think that it's a good thing because it's still the top two heavyweights in the world. So Unless there's a knockout in the first round, okay, if it goes the distance, which I actually think the first fight will, I think it's, these guys are going to go the distance. It's going to be more of a tactical fight than you guys realize because they know what's down the line, the rematch. So the first fight will be a 50-50 split, but the rematch will be a 60-40 split. So knowing how big that rematch is going to be, they're not going to go in there guns blazing. the way Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder in that rematch, that is not the way he's going to fight Anthony Joshua. The way Anthony Joshua fought in some of his earlier fights where he just went out, you know, balls to the wall, he's not going to fight like that. He's going to fight the way he fought Andy Ruiz in their rematch. That's what you guys are going to get. It's going to be high-level stuff, lots of skills. There's going to be explosive moments. But that's what you just know in the back of your head, guys, that's what this is going to be. First fight's going to be this summer. Second fight they're saying is going to be later this year. I don't know. I'm a little leery. Look, I think that these guys will end up fighting by the end of this year. I think the rematch is going to be pushed back to next year. A lot of this depends on COVID restrictions. Everyone's saying, oh, it's going to Vegas. It's going to Vegas. Really? If it goes to Vegas right now, they can't sell out the MG, or I'm sorry, T Mobile Arena or Allegiant Stadium, the new football stadium, American football. Uh, they can't sell that out because of the COVID restrictions, right? So you can't charge five thousand dollars for a ticket, which they would if it goes to Vegas. They'll charge a lot more than that. You can't charge those kind of prices if you can't guarantee the event's going to happen. All right. I don't know about you guys, but I've had about fifty events that I've been signed up to cover for, for either for boxing or just events that I wanted to attend in private with my wife, or with my friends, family fall through. I signed up for a damn marathon last uh, spring that's been canceled and rescheduled four times, four damn times. All right. It was supposed to be in DC next month. They canceled it again. So, and it won't refund my damn ticket. So, um, that that's what, you know, in the back of people's minds, you know, they're not going to spend that kind of money unless they can get a guarantee that they can attend the damn fight. So don't be surprised if the first fight comes off this year and it truly does come off in the spring or I'm sorry, the summer. Don't be surprised if it goes over to Saudi Arabia or something like that. It's very possible this goes over to the Middle East because they'll put up money and they don't give a shit about COVID restrictions, right? They'll build a, a stadium with slave labor and and sell uh, multi a you know, huge, huge price uh, ticket prices to get people in there. They don't, you know, that's what they're going to do, right? That's the same thing with the Joshua Ruiz rematch. So that's what we could see here, and then maybe it sets up a rematch next year. Because by then, I think the COVID stuff is going to be completely lifted, p- perhaps late this year. But look, if you're everybody involved in this, if you're top rank in and, and your um, uh, uh, match room, and they say, well, we could do it in November in Vegas at 60% capacity, or we could do it next March in Vegas at 100%. What do you think they're going to do? Okay. So that's why I just, in the back of my mind, you guys got to remember. This isn't an official announcement where like there's a venue, there's a date, like all that stuff. This is basically, hey, we've agreed in principle to fight twice, which is what we were told months ago. So this isn't quite breaking news. It's just they're getting closer and closer to they've agreed to terms and everything like that. Now it comes up to where do we put the fight? And that's not really in their hands 100 percent because they got to rely on government officials And you're dealing with multiple governments and all the sanctioning organizations involved in this, right? So there's multiple jurisdictions. This is an extraordinarily complex deal, especially post-COVID, post-pandemic, okay? We're still at the tail end of that pandemic as far as restrictions go. So it's extremely complicated, and people need to remember that. There's been a lot of YouTube videos, you know, saying stuff like, um, well, there isn't a deal yet. It's because of the arbitration and the court, you know, all these crazy people on YouTube well, once again, they're proven wrong. They got their clicks and made their money and now they're proven wrong. It's just over and over and over that cycle repeats. <clears throat> Yet you guys continue to go over to those channels. It, it's just like, it's like a uh, cable news. It's the same shit over and over again. It doesn't matter how many times these guys get exposed as complete frauds. Their channels continue to get clicks. <laughs> it, it's amazing to me. All right, let's hit on one last news item. And then we'll, then we'll get into the review. All right, guys. Uh, let's see here. Uh, just checking the comments. Want to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Okay. Let me click this banner. Put up a new banner. Boom. There we go. Judge Carlos Sucre, temporarily suspended by the WBA, by Gilberto Mendoza. This guy gave the first three rounds to Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. He gave, I'm sorry, two. <laughs> That's who he should have gave some of them to. He gave the first three rounds to Juan Francisco Estrada, and he gave six of the last seven rounds to Estrada. And a few of those rounds were blatant, obvious rounds for Chocolatito. I, I don't know what the hell this guy was watching. So here's the thing you guys got to remember about this suspension. First of all, it's temporary. Pending an explanation from sucre to mendoza and the wba executives of how he came to that score he might go in a meeting with them and tell them hey here's how i got that score And they might be satisfied and he might be right back on uh, on the job very very soon okay so this isn't like an indefinite suspension this is temporary also it only pertains to wba sanctioned fights so if there's a wbc title fight next month and they want to hire this guy or the promoter wants to bring him on the commission whatever they can legally. There's no, there's no issue there. There's no legal problem, okay? Um, so I do find a couple things interesting about this, okay? First of all, the WBA champion <clears throat> going into this unification fight was Gonzalez, right? The WBC champ- champion was Estrada. So basically, the WBA guy got screwed by this one judge. So they went after the judge. The WBC hasn't said shit. Now, I give credit where credit's due. Mendoza deserves credit here for what he's doing. I beat up on the WBA a lot. I beat up on the BC a lot. But I give the BC credit, too, with the things that they do that I like, right? The the clean boxing program, the weight management program, all that stuff. Where's Mauricio Suleiman on this? Where is he on this? Because he could uh, step up here and he could talk about the, the same thing that Gilberto Mendoza is. Even though his guy won, his guy got the nod. He's got to agree that 117-111 score was crazy, and he should step up and do the right thing here. So I'd like to see Mauricio Suleiman step up. Also, uh, another note here, the, the World Boxing Association is headquartered in Panama. It's not quite in Nicaragua, but there's proximity there, right? And uh, the WBC is headquartered in Mexico. So there's there's some political stuff going on here. I really think that. That judge, uh, Carlos Sucre, is from Venezuela, right? And there's some issues there. Uh, he He's based out of Florida. But one of you guys, a master commander, master command, I should say, on Twitter said, Michael, uh, I am Venezuelan as his judges. I am against the Venezuelan dictatorship of Maduro. This is just a speculation. But Chocolatito supports Nicaragua's abusive president, Daniel Ortega, who is a friend who is associated to Maduro. This could be why there's this horrendous scoring. Maybe I'm crazy. So th- th- a bunch of you guys have been talking about this. Um, Uh, On Twitter, and and there's been YouTube videos and stories about this, specifically in Spanish language media uh, before, about some of Romo Gonzalez's political ties and things like that. And and some people think that might have a little bit to do with the bias in this man's scoring. I'll just say this. I tweeted it out earlier today, and then we'll move on. I think Brandon's here on the line, so we're going to get Brandon on here in a minute. But um, there were four rounds. I looked at the CompuBox numbers. I know you guys out there don't always like CompuBox, but hear me out on this. The four rounds with the widest margin of punch output, okay? I'm talking about not like two or three punches more by one fighter. I'm talking about 15, 20 punches more by one fighter over another. The four rounds were the second, uh, third, tenth, and twelfth. Estrada landed 147 punches, or I'm sorry, uh, Chocolatito landed 147 punches, 32% accuracy compared to 87 punches, only 23% accuracy for Estrada. So you see like almost doubles the output, right? And he's more accurate. All four of those rounds, Sucre scored to Estrada. That just doesn't look good, man. I think in the 10th round alone, uh, Chocolatina landed 36 punches. Estrada landed 13. And somehow Sucre gave that round to Estrada. Not a good look. So uh, that's this dude needs to be investigated. This isn't the first time he's had a bad score. And I get it. There's some swing rounds in there. I understand all that. But when you give every single swing round, and even the wide rounds one way, That's a bad look. That's a really, really bad look. All right, guys, let's uh, jump over here. It looks like we got Brandon on uh, the chat, so I'm going to pull him up here, hopefully. What's up, Brandon? Driving in the car, man.
1: How are you? you?
0: Good, good. All right. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yeah, I can hear you just fine.
0: All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I know you're crazy busy. I appreciate you jumping on the... uh, the show here. We won't take up too much of your time. I know you're driving, so we want to uh, make sure that you're safe. Are you uh, driving yeah. to the gym, or what you up to, man?
1: No, actually, um, I was running a few errands. I just lost track, track of time. I was like, oh, shit. I, I had an interview. <laughs> let, me, um, let me hop in the car real quick. So I'm heading back uh, home now.
0: All right, man. Well, it's all good, man. I do that pretty much every day. My wife uh, beats the shit out of me and keeps me honest because I forget things all the time. So uh, real quick, bro. uh, Brandon Lee, everybody, 22-0, 20 knockouts, 21 years old, coming off the KO3 win over Samuel Taya last Wednesday on Showbox. And I think you had like about 200 amateur fights, right? You had a pretty good amateur career. Could you talk a little bit about uh, just your background in boxing? I know you got involved at a very young age. You followed your brother to the gym. Your dad trained you. Just for the fans who are just getting to know you, can you talk a little bit about your background?
1: Um, so my grandfather was a boxer. My uncles were a boxer. And uh, my older brother was a boxer. So it's a family tradition. And um, once I started boxing, I just never stopped.
0: Yeah, and you won uh, several, I think, uh, national silver gloves tournaments, right? Um, in your youth, right? You were fighting like in the junior championships and things like that, yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I won uh, the national silver gloves, I, I believe, three times, and I won the national junior Olympics two times. I won the national junior golden gloves like four times. The national pal like five times. Um, I had a very, I had a great amateur career.
0: And a lot of people don't know this about you, uh, but you have a, a Korean-American father and a Mexican-American mother, correct? So you you right. guys are all American, but you have that, that mixed heritage. Um, what was that like growing up in California? I, just a little background on me. I, I lived in uh, Koreatown, Los Angeles, for about a decade. And that's a common mix, man. I saw that a lot. Yeah. But I don't know if the part of California where you're from that you saw that a lot. Well,
1: I'm originally from Northern California. So uh, I... Right. Not many very Asians where I, where I used to live, unless you went to <laughs> San Francisco or Sacramento. Um, I was born and raised in Yuba City, which is 30 minutes north of Sacramento. So wow. I, I really didn't see that many Asians growing up. Um, and then I moved down to Southern California, to the Palm Springs area, uh, when I was about 11 years old. And again, not not many Asians. So uh, my whole life, I do, most of my friends are Hispanic. I mean, all my friends.
0: And so, uh, yeah, I just think um, I've been to the gyms and um, actually I was training last week and uh, a couple of guys, they were talking about you. They saw the fight they're like, man, that Asian kid could punch. And I'm thinking in my head, he is half Mexican. But I guess just a lot of people just don't uh, realize that. But um, you probably have pretty good food in your house, I'm imagining, with with both sides, right?
1: Most definitely. I mean, I I feel like I have the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I know that you you rep it too, which is cool. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of have a mixed background myself, and then my wife does as well. So we kind of rep all of that, and it's fun to have the, the family jokes when you have that kind of background, you know. And you can kind of go back and forth with each other. That's always fun. Yeah. What's it like training with your pops, man? Because uh, you know, back in the day, that was kind of the, the father son thing was seen as almost a negative, but now it's like a, the norm. Right? What's that like training with him?
1: Um. Me and my father have a great relationship. Um we have a great uh student coach relationship. We have a great um father and son relationship. So uh you know, whenever I get asked this question, I always tell people the same thing. You know, uh the student should always respect its teacher. As a son should always respect its father. So um, I feel like that's why we never bump heads or get into it.
0: Okay. Yeah, we just got a um A question here, a super chat question from Robert Palmer, who says, uh, RIP Marvin Hagler would love a Taylor versus Ramirez prediction from Brandon. Let's talk about that, man. We have um, a great fight coming up in a couple months between Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. How do you see that fight playing out?
1: Uh, I got Josh Taylor on that. Um, Light on his feet, soft paw, decent power, great boxer, um, and decent speed.
0: And that's, of course, in your division, 140, where you make weight pretty comfortably and you feel you're going to be there for a while, right?
1: Yeah, most definitely.
0: So when do you think you might be ready to step up that opposition, fight a top 10 guy, and then maybe go for a mandatory position to fight the winner of, the, of uh, Taylor Ramirez, something like that?
1: Um, You know what? That's all up to my, my team um, and my manager, Cameron Duncan. Right. At the end of the day, I'm just a fighter. I go in there, put me in the put me in the box ring, and I'm going to go in there and do what I do. Um, all the business and all the all the other stuff, I leave it to my manager, Cameron Duncan.
0: So you're not that boxer that's going to talk shit on Twitter and call out everybody in the world and then not fight them? You're not that guy?
1: No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but no, I'm not that type of guy. Uh, no, that's refreshing. I'm not a bullshitter.
0: That's good, brother. Yeah, uh, we could use more of that in the sport. How would you describe your style? I mean, you know, because everyone's like, they see the knockout and they think, oh, man, this guy's a power puncher. He's a knockout artist, but there's more than that. How would you describe your style?
1: I would, uh, man, uh, I mean, it's kind of like a combination of a boxer and puncher, but at the same time, um, like more punching because I feel like I'm more of an offense fighter than a defense fighter as so it's been uh, with my opponent so far. I've yet to have a, had an opponent to um, so I can use my boxing skills.
0: Yeah, no Notea landed a shot on you as you threw your right hand and got him. Is it just a yeah. situation where you had leverage because you were coming forward, your head was down, his chin was up, he was squared up? It's more about positioning than anything, right?
1: Yeah, um... I feel like maybe maybe my, my chin was stronger than his. Um, I really don't know. Maybe my, We all know for sure with that my punching power was more effective than his. But, um, yeah.
0: I won't take up too much more of your time because I, I know that you're running errands. But I want to talk real quickly about the fight last weekend, Chocolatito versus Estrada. If you gotten a chance to see it yet? Because I know you were traveling and you had to get back home and everything. Did you see no, it yet?
1: No, I didn't get I didn't get a chance to see it, but okay. all over Twitter. What the fuck? Uh what right, the right. <laughs> uh, robbery. So um I seen I I've actually seen I seen Robbie, Robbie, robbery. Then I see oh that's a good decision. That's a good decision. What right. they say but that one card, I don't know the judge's name. Uh Carlos Sucre, I was with, just
0: talking about him. Yeah, he's Carlos yeah, Fuck.
1: So, I saw that WBA uh suspended him. Um so it was like I had it was like mixed uh emotions.
0: Yeah, I got you. Uh I definitely recommend checking it out. It was amazing. I was there in Dallas. Just got back home to Atlanta like late last night, early this morning. Um two score cards were good. Like 15-13 either way was good, but that 17-11 card was was shit. Uh luckily for you, you haven't had to deal with judges uh yet in your in your career, at least not in the pros. Yeah. I know maybe in the amateurs. How do you Keep that out of your mind. Uh, just shitty judges. Uh, I know you could say, oh, these two guys are my judges right here, right? But at some point in your career, you know there's going to be a distance fight where the judges are going to come into play. How do you not, you know, think about that and just, just take care of business?
1: You got to – I mean, I'm not leaving when – when I fight, I'm not leaving it in the hands of the judges. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm going in there just to knock them out. It means that I'm going to dominate every round – and make it clear. not I'm not going to make the rounds close. I'm going to make it very obvious and very clear that, you know, I'm dominating the round, I'm dominating the fight.
0: Gotcha. So we can't get any predictions from you as far as uh, when you're going to be back in the ring next, or is this Cameron Duncan working on that and you're just doing your thing?
1: Camera. Last time I spoke to Cameron was about two days ago, and he said he's, he's working on it as we speak.
0: Okay. So maybe in the spring, something like that. Probably soon, right? Cuz you've been fighting four times, five times a year recently. Yeah,
1: so I, I mean, I'd say I'm back in May or June.
0: Okay. Are you back yeah. When are you back in the gym? Did you train today? Or are you no, taking some time uh, off. I uh,
1: will be back in the gym on Wednesday, so two more days. So I take a week off and I'll be back. Take a,
0: nice. All right. Well, yeah. real quick before I let you go, let everybody know where they could follow you on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff.
1: Uh, you guys can follow me on, on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon underscore Lee. That's B R A N D U N underscore Lee.
0: All right. Thanks you so much, Brandon. And uh, we will talk to you again soon, brother. Have a good one.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Peace.
0: Yep. All right. There he goes guys. All right. So, um, Oh, we got another super chat here. Let me jump to that real quick. Adam Guarno on the super chat. Thank you so much. He says Mike with two exclamation points, not one, but two. Lots of love to you. Question, four kings of this era, Chocolatito, Estrada, Quadros, and Rungvisai. I think so. I think uh, people have been talking about that a lot on social media. I think so. You know, I I think that there's certain guys that do a lot of talking on Twitter. Maybe most American fighters. I hate to say that. You know, as an American, American fight fan, you see that a lot, that a lot of these guys are just calling each other out on Twitter. They're not going out there and just doing their thing. But the one thing about uh, Doug Fisher talked about this in his mailbag today, uh, which I highly recommend is Monday and Friday mailbags. Obviously, some of the most uh, uh, just consistent work in boxing that you guys can depend on every week. And he always shoots it straight. By the way, he was, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he was ringside working at that event. That's why I wasn't working at event. vet because Doug called it. And, of course, you know, Doug calls the shots. So he was there working, but it's all good because I got to drink beer. I was there as a fan. Uh, thanks to Jim Boone of KO Tickets, by the way, for taking care of my wife Tiffany and I. Uh, we sincerely appreciate that. But Chocolatito, Estrada, Quadras, Rangvisai. These guys have all fought each other. I think they have fought each other nine times right now. And you know that by the end of this year, you're going to get number 10 because Rungvisai is now lined up as the WBC mandatory. More on that in a minute. So it's either going to be Estrada and Rungvisai, or uh, I think that's what the third fight, that's a rubber match between those two. And then, um, or you're going to get the third fight between, um, between Estrada and Chocolatito. If, if they decide to do it again, so either way, you're going to get a rubber, ma- a third fight. I shouldn't say rubber match, a third fight because uh, Rugby Size beat Chocolate twice. So um, yeah, these dudes fight each other. They're they're not saying, "No, you got to come to this side of the street." Yeah, no, you got to come over on my network. You got to come to my country. Right? These guys are from different parts of the world. They're all traveling and fighting here on these international shows with fighters from all over the place with multiple promoters most of the time and we've seen them fighting on different networks different platforms so that's so refreshing to see that division is stacked don't forget about ioka he's there too don't forget about Ancajas. i know he's been quiet recently but don't forget about him he's right there too all those guys in the mix man Uh, so so yes those guys are absolutely the four kings of this current era at at that weight class there is absolutely no doubt about it Um, Let's get into this fight uh, review, guys. Let's see here. Playing with my banners. Still learning this technology. There we go. Uh, Starting off with um, last – well, actually, we're going to skip back to last Wednesday. Let's talk about Brandon real quick. We just had Brandon on the show. Mohegan Sun Casino, uh, it was on Showbox. He scores a KO3 win over Samuel Teah, so he stays perfect. He had four fights in 2020. After five fights in 2019, 2018, he just said right here, he'll probably be back in the ring in May. Good stuff. Saturday, March 13, Sarisa Ketsoor-Rungby-Sai scores a third-round retirement win over Kwantai Sithmorsang, and now becomes a WBC superflyweight or junior bantamweight, as we call it, at ring, mandatory. And then we jump to PBC on Showtime uh, from Connecticut. On the undercard, Kudratio Abdukokarov, an Uzbek native, Scored a retirement three win. Uh, He is a prospect to keep an eye on. He is now 18-0 with 10 knockouts. But in the main event, David Benavidez makes the super middleweight limit, which is great. Great to see. He was in shape. He was motivated for this fight. Scores a TKO 11 win over Ronald Ellis. The first time Ellis has been stopped. This, of course, was a WBC eliminator because even though David Benavidez has repeatedly disrespected the WBC. They are desperate to get a title back in his hands. They want an all-Mexican WBC showdown down the line between him and Canelo Alvarez. They would just love that. Uh, So now he wins that WBC eliminator, improves to 24-0, 21 knockouts. Listen, when David Benavidez is on his game and he makes weight the right way, he was on weight days before the weigh-in for this fight. He was in immaculate shape. And he went out there and beat a good, experienced fighters, not at the the elite level, but he's a world-class fighter, Ronald Ellis is, took care of business. When David Benavidez is on his game, he is the best super middleweight in the world, not named Canelo Alvarez. He is a level above Caleb Plant. He is a level above Billy Joe Saunders, two levels above Calm Smith and the rest of the field. So he is the guy currently at 168, that we all want to see Canelo Alvarez fight. Will that happen? Who knows? After Canelo dispatches Saunders in May, which he will, the one title left at that weight is the IBF title, and that's Caleb Plant's title. Caleb Plant don't want none of that Canelo smoke unless he's getting an, an obscene amount of money, and Canelo's side, DeZone's side, is not going to overpay Caleb Plant. They're not going to do it. That overpayment is going to have to come from Uncle Al on the PBC side. And they're only going to do that if they can go on pay-per-view. That's how they've been overpaying their fighters the last few years. So that's what you're likely going to see there. But are they going to just let Caleb Plant fight against Canelo Alvarez? I don't know. But here's the, here's the possibility, okay? What if they offer a three-piece with Canelo? PBC does. And they say, look, we'll give you Caleb. You can take his title. Boom. But you got to do a three-fight deal with us. After him, you got to fight Charlo. Charlo will move up to 68. You fight him. After him, if you beat him, then you get Benavides. In PBC's mind, they're like, "Hey, we're, we know Canelo is going to beat Plant, but just if somehow Charlo pulls it, I, I think Canelo would wipe out Charlo too. But if somehow Charlo wins that fight, then they got Charlo versus Benavides at 168, all in house at PBC. If Canelo beats Charlo after beating Plant. Then they can have him fight Benavidez. So that's a three-piece deal there that they could work out. Canelo is a promotional free agent where he could bounce out and do that. So we shall see. It is possible. If a deal like that could be worked out, and it's written specifically in the contract, those three fights, not just an open-ended three-fight deal where they can fuck around and throw out some bullshit fight right in the middle of it, I'm fully in support of that. All right, so if they step up, PBC does, and offers a three-fight deal that makes financial sense, and all three of them go to, let's say, uh, PBC on Fox uh, pay-per-view. And it's plant uh, this late this year, and then early next year it is um, Charlo, and then late next year it is Benavidez. I'm all for it. Set that shit up. If this was the 1990s or something, those are the le- that's the level of fights we'd be getting, okay? And it wouldn't all be pay-per-view. But if we get those fights, I'll gladly support pay-per-view on that because that would be a a terrific, terrific setup. Can it happen? I just don't know. All right. We got a couple calls here I want to jump to because I know we're going to have a lot of calls today. So we're going to take a quick break in the preview. And we will jump to, uh, after these calls, we'll jump to the matchroom card in Dallas. All right. Because you guys know I got some opinions on that. But I know you do as well. So let's jump over to these phones. All right. First, we have 818, 818 on the chat. You're on the show.
2: 818,
0: what's up? <laughs> uh, hello? I think he forgot he was on the show. 818, call back when you're done dealing with that woman. All right. Let's jump to 702. I don't know what the hell that was. 702, you're on the show. 702,
3: go. Not Mike. It's Rob Can you hear me, okay?
0: Yes, I can hear you, brother. What's going on?
3: Okay, I want to talk about scoring because um, and obviously we've had the bad decision um, over the weekend, which I think most people in agreement is a bad decision, but there's it, been you know, pretty much one every week since but since kind of really ramps up again in February, and I I question whether the scoring system is one fit for purpose with the ten point must system um, because there's times where someone clearly wins a round and it you know it's equal to somebody who dominates a round without a knockdown, mm-hmm. and the other aspect is I don't think there's any clear definitive um, rules on scoring that are out there. For example, um, there's the four criteria, which I think most boxing fans will know about, but there's no clear definition on whether any of those criteria have a precedent. I know a lot of people um, favor clean punching, and that makes a lot of sense, but there's no clear statement in any rules that says that should be the case. And then after that, there's no kind of statement on whether, you know, uh, effective aggression or ring generalship or defense, whether those mean more. And I think once those can be clearly defined, there would be more of a consensus around boxing. And actually my suspicion is that the rules are deliberately and kind of ambiguous to allow any kind of decision to be justified by the judges.
0: Um, That's interesting. Uh, you know, first of all, I agree with you. I, I think um, there should be clear, defined rules and it should be easy enough that a second grade you know, elementary school student could, could read the rules and understand them. I do remember like HBO boxing, you know, when Harold Letterman would go over the rules, he would say, he would say that there is an emphasis on clean punching. That was supposed to be the number one rule. And that's, that tends to be the the rule that most judges go with. But, you know, you talk about effective aggression, ring generalship, things like that. The problem with those things is for a lot of people, man, they're, they're like, it's up to interpretation. What I view as ring generalship. You may view as ineffective aggression. You know what I'm saying? So there's so much that's left up in yeah. the air and there's no one central commission or governing body that clearly defines these rules for everybody else to follow. You know, the states all kind of have a little bit of a, a different way that they do things. You can't do a, a global commission. <clears throat> that would never work. But here in the United States, I've been calling for a, a boxing commission, a federal boxing commission. I'm I'm a limited government kind of guy. I don't like too much government. But I think we need a federal system of, of boxing in this country. I think every state should have the same damn rules. There should be no difference. Um, and it should be simple and plain. But, uh, you know, in theory, I agree with you. It's just how how do you clean that up other than having one government institution that defines that stuff? Hello? <clears throat> Do we lose you? I think... uh, oh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead.
3: I lost you for a second. I'm back now. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's a big frustration because you could have, like you said, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with, say, my interpretation of good defense and your interpretation of good defense being different. I think that's a healthy amount of sub- subjectivity. Mm-hmm. But when we're using a different criteria, that's when there's a problem. And that's when you're going to have this kind of wide range of scorecards that doesn't quite sense. Because you always hear this thing of, oh, uh, you know, and they were talking about it on the commentary. I don't know if you've been able to watch the card back. Oh, these Texas judges prefer aggression. They favor aggression. Well, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be about what you favor. There should be a clear definition of this is how you score a fight and whoever wins wins. And then there's an element of subjectivity within it. If you watch any other sport where there's judging, like I know diving, something like that, you don't get a variation in a judge in three judges' scorecards like you do with ballpark. Um, which you know. And and it must be because the, the rules are not as clearly clearly defined in these sports.
0: Yeah. And then a championship fight is 12 rounds. I mean, a dive is just a dive. You dive off a diving board and you yeah. rate that or or like in skating, you know, I don't know how long the they skate, but it's a few minutes and they do their performance and you judge that one performance. Well, with a with a professional yeah. prize fight, you know, you've got 12 rounds. So the degree of variation, mm-hmm. it, it can skew even more because it's you know, it's it's one thing if it's a four round fight. Generally speaking, if you look at four-round fights, the judges are pretty much in the same ballpark. But when you have 12 rounds, you know, it can really spread. Um, To me, what's concerning is it's, look, with this fight last weekend, again, I I think you could go as far as 115, 113 the other way, uh, either way, and, and I could live with that. But to have a score that's so far off, you know, 117, 111, that's just so out of reality uh, you know from what happened that's what concerns me and people think oh well this is just um you know the conspiracy theorists will say somebody paid him to do that that's not how this works if it was that easy i would feel better because i could do some investigative journalism and find out you know people talk everything yeah. gets leaked okay especially in this age where everyone's texting and we would find out but and that not that that thing hasn't happened in the past but I think the the real problem is straight up incompetence. These guys are just not yeah. good at judging fights and they continue to get work. Adelaide Bird still works in this sport. That is the problem. So yeah. in a sense that is a form of corruption. Now, do I think Adelaide Bird is taking yeah. payments from people to to make bad scorecards? I don't I don't think that. Okay, I'm pretty pretty tied into the things that go on behind the scenes off the record i've i've learned all kinds of nasty shit about all sorts of figures in this sport that i could never say on the record people talk if i thought that was happening believe me i would talk about it i just think that um there's just incompetence you know and i don't know how to fix that other than the fighters and the promoters and the networks refusing to let some of these judges work on these cards Sorry to go on that rant, but I just, you know, you, you kind of inspired that rant out of me.
3: <clears throat> no, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's just a shame. And look, I don't fall in love with my own scorecard. Like, I watched that fight delayed, so it was it was gone midnight by the time I watched the fight. Okay. I, had, I had drunk alcohol, so, you know, if I was in a court case, my evidence would be, you know, thrown out. Right. A proper witness and you know everybody in the crowd's drinking and and all those things like that and maybe i know I, I guess it's open to debate as well what what is the best position to judge a fight is it at ringside where the judges sit or are you better off watching it on television um you know it's easy to get influenced by the commentary which was at oh God. chris Mannix is just the worst thing in <laughs> boxing right now but um <laughs> you but like, all these things are um You know, all these things are open to debate, and it'd be nice to have a real conversation. I mean, you have these conventions that the WBC and these people throw, and things like you know, this would be the kind of thing that could actually be discussed, and it would be amazing to have.
0: That's a great point. That's that's a great point.
3: I don't see it. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Unfortunately,
0: no, I don't. You know, um, and and you bring up a couple of outstanding points. I mean, at these conventions, which I don't get invited to anymore because I've pissed them all off so much. they basically just sit around and eat and drink and, you know, pat themselves on the back and talk about how great they are. That's what I've seen. Uh, they'll throw out a few awards and everything, but even those awards, they're they're really self-aggrandizing. Um, you know, as far as how to score a fight, it's it's interesting. I've been – I've shadowed the commission. I've done press row scoring where I've been sitting on the ring apron – and I've also, of course, yeah. been ringside for a million fights in the press section. I've been up in the press box in certain events where they don't have media ringside. They have us up in the press box. And then in this situation, I was center ring. Maybe maybe I was in row J, so I'm, maybe that's 10 rows up. I had an amazing view. But even with that amazing view, I was yeah. far enough away from the ring where it was really difficult to see the rolling and parrying with punches that Chocolatito was doing. It was really difficult to see that stuff. The judges really, from my experience, the judges have the best view in the house. When you're right up on the ring, you hear everything, you see everything. Sometimes the fighters have their back to you, and that's when you can't see, okay? But other than watching on TV, which you're going to get the best views because you'll never, the fighters will always be in front of you on TV. In person, the judges have the best view in the house. So for them to fuck up all the time, just it, it baffles my mind, brother. But um, I got other calls, man. I'll give you the last word and let you uh, jump out. But I got to jump to some other calls here.
3: Oh, uh, just obviously, you know, massive respect to the Marvin Hagler. You know, I, I don't think many have encompassed what's great about the sport quite like he did. So.
0: Absolutely, great, brother. Yeah. Could that couldn't have uh, left it on a better note, my man. Great call. Thanks, Mike. All right. Have a good one. All right, there he goes. we got a couple calls here uh, to jump to, but I want to get to some of these super chats real quick, guys. Uh, we have a super chat from Faust. Thank you so much. He says, what's your thought on people calling Canelo the GOAT or all-time great already based on Canelo's resume? People need to pump the brakes a little, in my opinion. Hell yeah, you are absolutely correct. Thanks again for the super chat, but uh, the greatest of all time, that's ridiculous, okay? that's the People that called Mayweather the greatest of all time or Pacquiao, ridiculous you guys need to read some books and like learn some stuff okay and i'm not ba- obviously mayweather and pacquiao are all-time greats and canelo's on his way to that but you guys got to pump the brakes to date canelo's best win is a very very disputed close decision over Gennady Golovkin, who was past his actual physical prime right he was in his late 30s by then uh and then in the first fight got the draw, was very lucky to get that draw. Most people felt that Golovkin clearly won that fight. The only all-time great that he fought was Floyd Mayweather. And, yes, he was not ready for that fight. He was way too green, I understand. But that was a 12-0 to 0 shutout, guys. It's not like that was a competitive fight, okay? Other than the Golovkin fight, which was very close, what other Hall of Fame-level fighter has Canelo convincingly beat? I don't even, He didn't convincingly beat Golovkin. But he, if you believe he won that second fight, fine. If you believe he won the first fight, you're an idiot. I'm sorry, but there's no, he did not win the first fight, guys. And there's no shame in that. It's okay to lose to Golovkin. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But if you feel he won the second fight, cool. Still close. Seven rounds to five at most. You can't give more than seven rounds to Canelo in that fight. Can't get more than seven rounds to Golovkin in that fight. It was a close fight. But if that's his best win, okay. What's his second best? What's his third best? You start looking at the resume. He's not there, guys. Slow down. He's on his way. What Canelo is going to accumulate, I think what they're going for here is the hardware. He wants to clean out 168. That way he can say, hey, I cleaned out a division and I won titles in multiple weight classes. Right? He wants to have that distinction. He's got to still beat Benavidez, um, Charlo. You know, maybe a third fight with Golovkin and, and stop Golovkin, be the first guy to knock Golovkin out. Then maybe fight a Dimitri bevil fight an old, faded, beat up Beterbiev, be the first guy to beat him. You know, he's got to go and go on that kind of run to be considered an all-time great. So he is way, way far from that. Having said all that, he's probably the best fighter in the world, world right now, okay? I think it's fair to say that. Uh, Trent Pereira with the super chat pledge thank you so much he says boha no up on the cards too yes sir yes sir that is boxing that is boxing that's why we love it though let's give Brendan Adams credit he pulled that out and he has another super chat pledge thanks again Trent he says uh, Hagler Canelo who you got Mike is it in Vegas <laughs> if it's in Vegas this version of Canelo, if he could still make 160 versus uh, Hagler, dude, I know it's going to sound sacrilegious, but he might get a points win. It might be controversial. It might look a lot like style-wise and everything else, the fights with Golovkin, you know? Um, but I, I just I, it's hard for me to root against Hagler, right? I, I think that my card, I would have Hagler beating Canelo. Do I think Hagler knocks out Canelo or anything like that? Absolutely not. I think it is funny when people say, um, I see stuff on Twitter like, oh, Carlos Monzon would knock out Golovkin and Canelo in three rounds or vice versa. Th- that's ridiculous, guys. These guys, If, if Monzon, Hagler, Hopkins, uh, Golovkin, Canelo, these guys all fought each other, and I'm going to throw Robinson in on that too. None of them knock each other out. These are distance fights that are highly competitive, okay? So, so just be saying that is very, very high praise. For, uh, for Canelo Alvarez and obviously Gennady Golovkin. But I truly believe that they're very, very good fighters who would compete in any era of boxing. All right, a couple more quick calls, and then we'll get back to the review guys, all right? Let's jump to uh, 315. 315, you're on the show.
4: Hey, Mike, big fan.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate I
4: that. Canelo. Yeah, the Canelo Triple G, after you uh, pretty much stuck it to Bob Bennett, dude, you <laughs> earned a lot of respect to a lot of boxing fans. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, quick question though. Uh, so you're working out, right? Um, I have to ask, and I know you're probably not going to even answer if it's the uh, correct answer, but are you, or are you not trying to compete in the master's class in boxing and put it in the ring uh, magazine? Uh,
0: who are you been talking to? Uh, I, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going to put anything on record right now, man. Um, I can't. Mm -hmm. There's too much in flux, and a lot of it is dependent on COVID restrictions. Look, I was supposed Mm -hmm. to do some shit last year. I had some things set up for last summer, and it got fucked up. And then um, I started eating, and then my brother died, and I got depressed and started eating some more. So right now, I'm basically going through the process of just losing weight and getting in shape. I haven't been sparring or anything yet. So um, there's still a lot that needs to take place. I might throw out a shoulder or something, and Who the hell knows but i will i will admit i've got some things in the works yes i'll give you that much you've been talking to somebody (laughs) though man you've been talking to somebody no 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 here's
4: here's here's the thing so i'm 34 years old going on 35 i've been you know doing martial arts for a few years nothing really competitive and uh, again i've been eating too um and i've gained weight so i want to lose it and i i I just want to i just wanted to try to like do something I looked up to like, is there something easy to do? Not easy per se, but something at a uh, person around my age group. And I'm like, well, let me see if I can look it up. And then I read about the master class in boxing. And then I saw you working out. I'm like, I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> so that, that's it. That was just a hunch. <laughs>
0: uh, it's a pretty good hunch, man. Keep, keep you know, keep training. Cool. And, and I think it's what, 35 and up. And then um, I think it's 35 and up and then um i actually know the yeah, chairman of the masters division i used to spar with him and train with him um he, he just happens to be here in atlanta so um but uh i'm working out at a different gym that's much much closer to where i live now that's just and it's a, i'm working with a great coach so uh there's a couple things you know i want to do not just one thing but a couple different things and now with everything that happened with my family that we've been through i just I'd like to kind of channel all that into something positive, but there's a million like little pieces that got to line up, you know? So I don't want to jump the gun and make promises. I can't keep right right now, but just keep it up, bro. Keep it up.
4: Thank you. No, I will. Um, And thank you. Uh, Keep it up too with your work, man. You're great for boxing.
0: Thank you so much, man. Have a good one. You too. I guy could be an investigative uh, journalist. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead to this next call here. Uh 813. 813, you're on the show.
2: Mike, Marquise, man, how's it
0: going? Marquise, what's up, my man? How you doing?
2: Pretty good, man. Hey, let me let me reference back a caller a couple of seconds back ago who was mentioning a commentary on the zone. Uh on the record, Chris Mannix is a fucking idiot. Let me explain. <laughs> uh in, in okay. the world championship fight, Peter the throttle, right? They favored aggression, right? I'm just going by his commentary here. Set the world record for most punches in favor of chocolate keto. What result did we get?
0: Uh, well, what did Chris Mannix say? I, I, you know, for the record, I, I'm not for or against Chris Mannix. I did not. I have not seen the broadcast <laughs> yet. So, like, but you're not the only guy saying that. There's a bunch of people I've seen on Twitter just going off. What did he say, man?
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, Chris Mannix said." when when the judges were all over is that uh, these Texas judges favor aggression in these fights, which would have made a lot more sense, but even the great Adam LeBron was at the correct me overnight Saturday night saying that these judges weren't from Texas and the one judge from Texas gave for her chocolatito. So that's problem one. Problem two, and Mike and you were there this weekend. Up and down these fight cards there was that one judge who got these cards wrong. It's not just this fight as well as you all know. Uh yeah. Raymond Ford fight I got, got jacked up uh Emma Williams almost had a 77-75 yeah, in the one-way yeah. traffic. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can, you, can, you can pick your points on all that. So, you yeah, know, with the, the zone commentary stuff. But <laughs> the one thing that concerned me about that fight more than anything else is that, you know what the sad state of affairs, Mike, when in terms of having judges having been reprimanded, the WBA has to check in <laughs> and suspend people.
0: Yeah, I didn't <laughs> because, expect because, that, yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, I mean, it, hear- that's a really bad look for Mauricio Suleiman that Gilberto Mendoza beat him to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was expecting Mauricio to jump in, but then his boy won, you know? And, and like, so he's got a ride with Mexico on that. I get it. This is something, man, it's all political. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's all political, man.
2: Absolute nonsense. But since you were there, I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't know if it's all the, all the tape yet back up beat us on Showtime Saturday night looked really good yeah. against a man who was there to punch down for about eleven rounds, but he looked really great nonetheless. Um, I, it makes you wonder if he's going to be this whole free time for this WBC belt because at the way he's punching, he's he is still the number one person that everyone thinks is going to be the biggest test for Canelo. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, Mike. There's reason Canelo is number one for a reason. He's not going to be beaten by any of these guys. I don't agree. We can argue to the Cowboys. It sounds great. It's a fun conversation, you know, plan, indeed is, you know, at H-50 at this point, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still a Canelo's world. We're all just a part of it. Yep. Also, to answer your question as well, uh, so much so hypothetical Hagler versus Canelo. If it's in Vegas, you know it's Canelo. Hagler got jobbed on the Hearns fight, on the, on the Leonard fight. So you know it's going to be with a. <laughs> it's be that's, that's
0: what, yeah, that, yeah I said a, the same know? thing. Yeah, I, people might not like that answer, but it's probably what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always eight to four Cadell until you, until you do something otherwise, or actually knock the man down five times. And it then, didn't and then, and then even then, you're just going into the draw. But <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on the on the fights coming up next week. Uh, we got the great IBF mandatory nonsense of uh, Arturo Beterbiev versus uh, Adam Denise finally after about eight months. Uh, yeah. Do you see that fight going any longer than a commercial break?
0: If it does, that's, that's a moral loss for Beterbiev, man. I, I mean uh Dennis, I was just looking up his resume, born in Russia, based in Germany. So he is a Russian. So it's a, you know, Russian versus Russian thing here. But dude, he he just hasn't fought anybody on this level. So this should not, la- this should look like Canelo Uderum. That's what it should look like.
2: Yeah, You're being nice, but this guy sucks. This guy also <laughs>
0: lost to Fang Maylong as well. So I He did. Yeah, he case. did. <laughs> so, <laughs> who's technically undefeated. <laughs> all right. All right. Technically, right? I think he's undefeated. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I, look, you said it, not me. This should look like Canelo versus <laughs> Yildirim. That's that's how this fight should look.
2: Oh, man. But yeah, i looking forward to seeing better be an action. He's the one guy. That's all in Philadelphia when, when he fight Kovacic, when that's pretty much the, the media and in, 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 in the guys out there for the fight. He, He's impressive at age 35, going on 36, man. I'm, I, I still think he's a problem at 175. I don't know who's left for him. Lord knows there isn't much else. He's, he's not safe. We, That's we, the one thing I hate about boxing, Mike, is like I can sit here and give you all these hypotheticals and fancy booking, but it's like, all right, right uh, better be a devil. Uh, when's it going to happen? That's <laughs> the problem, doctor, man. Cool. when's
0: it going to
2: happen?
4: Very <laughs> father three. When's it going when to happen?
0: I know, man, that's the problem right now. And it's getting worse and worse. And it, it is, um, there are times, man, where I just, I get fucking fed up and I kind of unplug for a day and just don't look at my tweets or anything. Cause I'm like, I, I can't keep looking at these dudes, call each other out on Twitter and, you know, troll everybody. Cause that's basically what they're doing. It's just a massive cock tease. Uh, look right now at 175, that's not a loaded division but if Bevel fights Ramirez or, I'm um, sorry. Yeah. Gilberto Ramirez. And then after that fights, Beterbiev, th- those are good fights. I'm I'd sign me up for that shit. And that could all happen this year, but you know, damn well it won't. And that's the problem. No. It is Not what it all. is. And
2: it makes you wonder what Yeah, it is, what it is. And I'm, I know we're all waiting for fans and money and fans bring money. So I get all of that. You know, we're all playing the waiting game. Want to leave you with this, Mike, uh, Looking back on this year, during this whole this this past year, because you know it's just been a year that pandemic got anniversary blah
1: blah blah yada yada. yada. Uh,
2: what's the one fight during this pandemic card uh, that you liked the most, and why is it Deafimo uh, Lopez versus Lomachenko?
0: <laughs> well, that's obviously the best one. Um, there's been a few moments, right? I mean, that was. Here's the thing, dude. Yeah. Like, as great of a moment as that was. I feel like a lot of momentum has been lost. You know, um, I'm glad Fima Lopez is yeah. getting paid, I'm, but that's that's going to Triller. It's in Miami. Okay, it's interesting kind of, but oh, yeah. all the momentum has gone. Um, you know, when when um, Povetkin came back against White, that was an incredible moment uh, because we thought that White was about to finish him. At least I did. Uh, but the, the, the yeah. that rematch was anticipated. Now the luster has kind of been taken off that, like the momentum. Like, I just feel like, like, I get it. We, we've we had this pandemic and it's, it's fucked things up, but let's, let's get going now. Like it's time, you know, that seemed to be the mood of everybody in Dallas. Like people, like I was just, you know, talking to fans and stuff and everybody was just ready to go. They're like, come on, dude, let's get going with these fights. And, and Canelo Saunders isn't it, you know, like we need some real fights. So yeah. hopefully we get fury Joshua later uh, in the summer. That would be huge.
2: That would be interesting, and I hope we get something along those lines. I do want to leave you with this, Mike. Uh, I, I saw uh, on Twitter, uh, Manuka Afan was quitting about it. Uh, he was doing some spots for uh, PBC on Fox. So despite people's efforts, there is some, there are some PBC on Fox cards coming up. I don't know what they are, if it's going to be worth anything. No one anything, knows. But if they're bringing in – yeah, Lord knows what that, but they're bringing in people to do interviews and talk about them. So we're at least guaranteed at least one and a half fights.
0: Yeah, we got something. Well, we know we got a – Massive pay per view between uh Ruiz and Ariola, right? And so, uh, oh gosh. and that's dude, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but you can't, you cannot be a programmer, what's you up? know, you and not charge for that. What's up?
2: You can't charge for that fight card. I'm
0: sorry. Oh, well, yeah, there's that, there's that, yes, but then man. there's you can't not have a schedule if you are a pro, you know, a content provider. You, if you're going to take a vacation, tell everyone you're taking a vacation. You know, if PBC was like, hey, we're going dark for two months, we don't have a schedule, but in the meantime, we're doing the best of PBC. All the best PBC fights are going to be played on Fox. Cool, do that. But, like, for them to not have any – you go to their website right now. There are no fights scheduled, dude. Like, that, you, you can't have that. You can't have it. It's just, that's like, you know, radio, dead air on radio. Like, you know, people change the channel. So, dude, tell people where they can follow you, Marquise. Guys, Marquise is awesome. He's a funny guy, and um, he's got great opinions. I like uh, like when you do your threads, man, where you've got like tweet, 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 giving your thoughts of what happened. Uh, That's fun. So let everyone know where they can follow you.
2: Absolutely, Mike. You guys can find me if you're listening to Mike right now on the, on the neutral corner at Weeksoft Radio on Twitter, all one word, all still me, despite my efforts. Also, <laughs> uh, BigFightWeekend.com, the website for all the, all the shenanigans and uh, boxing news and nothing.
0: Awesome. And uh, we'll have you on the show as a guest soon, brother. I got a few things lined up, but after that, maybe next month, we'll have you on the show as a guest. Absolutely. Hopefully, we we'll have some better fights that aren't, you know, uh, Lawrence Acoli and, and uh, first Yes. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> 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 All right, man. Have a good one, bro. You <laughs> man. All right, there he goes. Yeah, man. Marquise is a funny guy. I like him. All right, one more call, guys, and then um, we will jump back to the review. All right, six one seven. You're on the line. Go.
5: How are you doing, Mike? This is Andres from Fort Worth, long-time listener, first-time caller.
0: Awesome, awesome. What's up, brother? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, um, cool. Just before you get into the,
5: the review of everything you saw in Dallas, I just kind of wanted to get a sense of, I grew up in Grand Prairie, I'm here from the DFW area. Like, how did it compare to what you've seen in other sites and with everything going on in the pandemic, does it seem like there will be more bigger fights coming to the DFW area?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, you guys are going to have a lot of fights this year. You're going to get a lot of fights. Uh, so you in Florida, Texas and Florida are going to crush it this year. You guys are getting pretty much all the big shows. Uh, later, second half of the year, you're going to start seeing Vegas get some fights. But you guys, you'll definitely stay busy. As far as what I thought of the area, man, I've been to right. Dallas a few times and I, I like it, bro. Me and my wife were talking. We're like, man, I, I like Dallas better than Atlanta. Like, we just moved to Atlanta a couple years ago, and um, just the look and feel of it and the vibe. We hung out a little bit uh, Sunday after um, we checked out of the hotel. We walked around for a few hours, and um, we you know hit a few bars, and we found this park right in the middle of the city. I can't remember the name of it, but there was all these trails and just uh, like stone steps and everything, and it, it was a you know, jogging oh, trail. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I like Dallas a lot, bro. I, I definitely will be back there more to visit. Um, it just seems like a really, really nice area.
5: Are you think of coming back to the, the fight won't work, the virtual or team fight?
0: I can't. Somebody else got grabbed that assignment. So um, you know, it, they have to kind of pass around the assignments a little bit. I I can't get all of them. So um I can't remember who got that assignment, but no, I I won't be there. I'd love to be out there. I, i'm super excited oh, for great. that fight that's a really good fight i might have to do a live fight party for that one yeah
5: he's uh same hometown grand prairie so grand prairie boy i remember going to the fights in uh his homecoming fight and uh seeing the fights in the ring and seeing the fights in the stands it was a yeah.
0: good <laughs> those are always the best right that's why it's fun man um i remember talking to virgil have one one oh go ahead go ahead go ahead oh no go ahead I was just going to say, I remember no, talking to him years add? ago, man. Um, and, and he he mentioned Maurice Hooker years ago when I first talked to him, you know, when he was still kind of under the radar. Because I said, like, who would you like to fight? And I mentioned Maurice to him because I knew he was from Dallas too. And he was like, dude, I want to fight that guy. And um, so now we're seeing it. So, like, he's been looking at Maurice Hooker for a while. I'm expecting a big performance from him. Oh,
3: yeah. I'm, I'm expecting a big knockout myself. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm rooting for.
0: One last question, if I, if
5: I could. Um, I know that, um, here in the DSW area, we've been building up more rooms to host events, uh, boxing and MMA. It's kind of growing here. And I know in the past, we talked about how the demographics of the fan base are changing. It's shifting to the South, to the West, you know, and, um, in Arlington, there's a room that's being built now for, uh, uh, weekly club shows. Uh, it's under construction. So weekly shows are less than 500 people. We got the universities where they have their little basketball stadiums for like the, uh, like less than four thousand, and then obviously Jerry World for the the big event right. With everything starting to go up here, I'm a little worried about the way the Texas Commission is, and I'm wondering.
4: Uh, I
5: saw your instant um, reaction earlier, and it seemed like the fans, the booing fans, even the Mexican booing fans, like they were more they were honest fans and they were respectful of of what was done in the ring, and they seemed very knowledgeable. But it doesn't seem like we can get that out of the commission or the judges. Is there anything up here in Texas can do to put pressure on them to get better or? Is it just kind of like they need reps or what? Because I, we're going to start bringing big shows here. I just don't want to see – I don't want to see
0: us screw it up. That's a really, really good question, man. Uh, <laughs> and you're right. The fans were booing, and it was interesting to see. I would say that place was 75% for Estrada, Mexican-American fans cheering Estrada in the beginning. By the end of that fight, man, they were giving a standing ovation to both fighters, and they were booing that one scorecard. They weren't necessarily booing the winner of the fight, but they were booing that scorecard. Right. And it just, it's so great to see honest fans, yeah. man. And it was like a playful rivalry rivalry because you heard a uh, chance of Nicaragua, chance of Mexico, and they were going back and forth, but it was, it was out of love. It wasn't there. I didn't see any fighting or anything like that. So it was cool to see that respect. And then um, as far as the commission goes, yeah, it's crazy, dude. You know, that was a big card held in Texas, right? I think only one of the judges was from Texas. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the promotion did not trust Texas ring officials. They wanted to go down there because that's where they could put on the event, but they did not trust ring officials. Most of the judges on that card were from outside of Texas. It is up to the commission to step up. um, And that's kind of been an insular family run commission for a while uh, with the Coles and everything. So. I think it's up to the fans, man, like to to email these dudes and call these dudes and say, listen, man, you got to step this shit up. Like people just got to put pressure on them. I I don't know if that's happening right now or not. And maybe I can do some digging and find some email addresses for you guys and and some numbers. But when you see like them putting on a show like that in Texas, and I've noticed that of a few shows, I want to see who the judges are for for this one coming up uh, this weekend. But they're not using Texas judges, bro. They're not using Texas. Sometimes they use Texas refs. But not all the time, and that tells me they don't trust the ring officials there. So you know, this st- the commission needs to step up big time.
3: Yeah. Okay, that
5: makes sense, man. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot. Doing good work. Keep it up.
0: Thanks a lot, brother. Have a good one. Bye. There he goes. There he goes. All right, guys. Whoa, we're over an hour in. I knew this show was going to be long, and we're just now getting to this review. Let's see. We are at what an hour and twelve minutes in writing my notes here just so i can remind myself let's get into this guys let me uh let me go back to my my banners and uh put it up boom there it is juan francisco estrada split decision win over roman gonzalez in dallas texas uh Estrada approves to 42 and 3 and gonzalez falls 250 and three. by the way my man steve kim in uh, his um Three knockdown rule podcast with Mario Lopez. And when they were previewing this matchup last week, they were talking about these guys' records, and there's a couple losses. And he goes, You know what? That's how you know these guys have been somewhere. They've done something because there's a couple losses on those records. That's how you know, like, there's a little gravity to those resumes, you know? And I completely agree. These are the kinds of records. When I look at numbers like 42 and three, 50 and three, and I know all the championships these guys have won. I respect records like this so much more than records like 35-0, and 25-0. I don't give a shit if you're undefeated. Get out there and fight and fight the best. You're going to take some L's. You're going to take some lumps, but you keep on going forward, right? We thought Gonzalez was done after that knockout loss to Rungwe side. Guys, I was a stone's throw away from that. The, I felt the punch, okay? I didn't just hear it. I could feel the vibration from it in my gut. It's one of those like punches, right? That you feel it. I could feel that punch, uh, the reverberation. And when, when I saw him take that shot, I was like, Holy shit, this, this man's career is done. He's done as an elite level fighter. It was sad because when that happens, when you see a great fighter and you know, now they're past their best, it's sad, right? And here we are years later. And I, he may have beat Juan Francisco Estrada last weekend, And just two days ago, what am I saying? Just two days ago in Dallas, it was Saturday, right? It's been 48 hours. Just two days ago, he might've beat one of the top 10 fighters in the world. That's pretty damn amazing. Let's talk about this fight. Uh, Chocolatito, one thing I do want to mention before, just a couple of numbers. I forgot to mention this before. Chocolatito does not have the same power at 115. I think that's evident. This guy was a really strong puncher in those uh, weight divisions, flyweight and under. Very, very strong puncher. But he's had eight fights now at 115. He has three knockouts, three stoppages in those eight fights, and two of them were against lesser opposition. One was only against the top 10 guy. Okay, so that's a 37% knockout percentage since moving to 115. The other 45 fights that were at 112 or below, his knockout percentage is 84%. And you look at the names he fought. That's impressive, right? So at 115, Chocolatito is a distance fighter against the elite. He's a distance fighter. It's going to be 12 hard rounds, and he's got to be in shape for that. He's got to be living the lifestyle outside the ring so he enters camp the right way. And you could tell he did that for this fight. He took this fight very, very serious. By the way, look at the names since he's moved to 115, Estrada, Wangek. Quadras, Khalid Yafai, even Moises Fuentes, who's not like an elite-level guy, but a pretty respectable fighter. I mean, those are the guys he's fought since moving up to 115 late in his career. That's pretty amazing. Uh, But let's give Estrada credit, too. I I think that people, because of that one scorecard and people's love affair with Chocolatito, which I understand, and Chocolatito exceeding expectations, which is something that works on people's minds when they're scoring fights – All that comes into consideration. It's part of the package. But I think it's all overshadowing Estrada. Estrada fought really good in this fight, guys. This was a close, competitive fight. And you can make a case for him winning. I understand you can make a greater case for Chocolatito winning. I truly, truly believe that. I haven't seen the fight again. Full disclosure. I watched it live. I didn't score it. I was there as a fan. I was hanging out with my wife. There was a bunch of guys around us that uh, that knew me, that knew us, and we were talking and shooting the shit and having fun. So we were just enjoying the action. I didn't score it. But what I felt, my gut feel there that night, okay, as a guy who had had a couple beers and was hanging out with friends, it felt like the first half of the fight Estrada edged it. I'm just telling you guys what I thought, okay? But the second half of the fight, it felt like, Chocolatito won. It felt like down the stretch, he he fought better in the championship rounds and closed the show better. I just thought at the end of the fight, holy shit, what an amazing fight. They did Marvin Hagler very proud. He would have been, you know, he would have absolutely called that performance marvelous from both men. And, man, I want to see this again. That was immediately what I thought. And then I thought, they're probably going to give this to Estrada. 115-113. That was my thought. Maybe one score will be 114, 114. That was my initial gut feel. Now I'm not necessarily saying that's how I would score it. But my, cause a couple of you guys I, I asked me. There was a, a gentleman a couple rows behind me, and he was with his son. And he said, Mike, how'd you score? You know, right after the fight. And I just said, I think it's gonna be 115, 113 Estrada. And he was like, No, nah, no, nah, that was chocolate Tito. And I'm just I was thinking, no, man, that's how they're gonna score it. That's just That was just my gut feel. These judges are going to edge it to Estrada. And that's what happened uh, with one judge and then one for Chocolatito and then that one really, really bad scorecard from Sucre. But by the way, the four rounds I mentioned that he scored all four Chocolatito, the four rounds that had the widest gap in punch output, not just punches thrown but landed and accuracy, where I'm not talking Chocolatito landing two or three more. I'm talking about him landing 15 more. Um, And throwing more and more accurately. Those four rounds, if he would have accurately accurately scored those rounds for Chocolatito, suddenly his scorecard's 115-113 Estrada, and that's a defendable scorecard. And it's not controversial, right? So it sucks that such a terrible scorecard and there may be some political influence right there that affected the way, you know, he might not be a fan of chocolate chocolate Tito because of his political leanings. And that's something we see more and more in media. I see it all the time here in the United States. And even in the fight media, there are, there are people that work at Showtime and work at different networks who routinely bash the shit out of half of the voters of this country. Just daily post, just political stuff that has nothing to do with boxing. And it's okay to put out an opinion here and there, but at least try to be moderate and try to be fair about it. But some of these guys just routinely beat the shit out of half the country. And we've seen people get fired for political uh, beliefs that they have and uh, things that they've said, the people that they voted for. And I think if that could have influenced this man's scorecard in relation to Chocolatito, damn, that's a shame. If, if that sort of thing is infiltrated, you know, it, people's minds so much that it, it it's now in the world of boxing and it's affecting the way fights are scored, man, that's sad. But listen, the one thing Estrada is not getting enough credit for from some of you guys, body punching. He more than doubled the output of Gonzalez in terms of uh, landing to the body. Now, most of that was in the first half of the fight, and that is why, Um, I I thought that he edged the first half of that fight, but he slowed down with the body punching in the second half, and and Chocolatito started uh, just outworking him. I understand that there's different different scoring categories and criteria and all this, but, man, punching is still the name of the game, guys. This is boxing after all, right? Clean punching and effective punching. If you think about it, Chocolatito's punches weren't that hard. He wasn't punching... Estrada, uh, uh, to, to the point where he was going to knock him out. Although he did buzz him a couple times, particularly late. And he was his, his volume of work was bothering him. You could physically see that down the stretch. But he wasn't necessarily punching hard. He was just fluid. He just kept it rolling, kept it going. And that was enough to keep Estrada at bay and off balance, particularly going into the championship rounds. Uh, it was pretty stuff. But also what what he was doing, Chocolatito, was rolling and and parrying shots. And I think that some of the judges may have missed that. Perhaps, again, I haven't seen the the zone broadcast, but perhaps the commentators didn't see that. Uh, I just think that, and I've talked about this before, if a fighter stands in the pocket and rolls with punches and catches and parries and blocks and even takes some on the chin – but he's willing to do that because he's coming forward and he's in position and he's got a guy squared up and his punch is going to land cleaner than his opponents. They're not getting credit for that. Everybody wants to see Floyd in there doing the shoulder roll, slipping and sliding and making a dude miss all over the place. Not everybody fights that way. And for Chocolatito to be able to stand in the pocket, what I saw was bounce, 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 bah, bah, bounce, 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 right? Repeat, repeat, repeat from these two guys. But with Chocolatito particularly, there was defensive mastery in there. This was straight-up martial arts mastery, right? And good stuff from Estrada too, but particularly down the stretch to see an older guy like Chocolatito do what he did, holy hell, that was amazing. I don't care that Estrada got the W. I don't like the way he got that one scorecard. That, That puts a stain on it for me. But I'm all good with Estrada getting his W so long as we get that third fight. If Estrada says, hey, man, I got to do what the WBC tells me, and I got to fight Rangvisai next, that's going to be a major disappointment. And I'll tell you what, the Mexican and Mexican American fight fans, they're not going to respond well to that. They're going to get on Estrada a little bit because they want to see the rubber match too. All right. So it's going to be up to the fans to make their opinions known and put some pressure here. If I'm Mauricio, I'm, I'm saying, hey, man, you got a whole year to fight. uh Rugby side cuz he just won the day before uh these two belts were unified right he he that was an eliminator fight you got a whole year to fight him so fight Chocolatito a third time uh later this year and then the winner of that fight has to fight rugby side next write that into a deal do that i hope i really hope they don't make Estrada the franchise champion and make rugby side of the email champion but if that's what needs to happen to get to this rubber match first so be it, so be it, because uh, I want to see Estrada and Gonzalez again this year. I want to see them. the winner of that fight Rungvisai, obviously, but that can wait, man. I want to see this one first. I really, really do, because this was highly competitive stuff. All right. Also on this card, uh, Jessica McCaskill beats Cecilia Breck, whose all three scores felt a little bit wide, but... I honestly thought McCaskill clearly won this fight. Some of you guys out there are saying Breckhus won. I I don't know what you're watching. Is is McCaskill pretty in what she does? Is it pretty to watch? No, it's rough. It's rugged. Uh, It's not very. It doesn't look highly skilled. And Breckhus was the stylist in there and punching straight and and bouncing on her feet and light on her feet and everything. And McCaskill just kind of lunges forward, you know, and, and plods and just throws bombs, but it was working. She kept Brekus off balance in this fight. Cecilia breckhus simply did not throw enough punches. And I said that straight up to Tom Loeffler. I told him that. And, and, and you know, Tom can't say it publicly, but I think if you got him alone and said, okay. I think he'd agree with that. I think that uh, Abel Sanchez would too, that was training Cecilia. I think even Cecilia would tell you that. She didn't win that fight. McCaskill did. However, Jessica McCaskill, probably the third most accomplished female fighter in the world right now. Right behind Katie Taylor and then Clarissa Shields. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe you could make an argument for Serrano right there at number three, too. But is she skill-wise on the pound-for-pound level of Katie Taylor uh, or uh, Shields? No, she's not. And um, th- there's no knock to her. That's just the reality. I-, I think that the class right now in women's boxing is Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields skill-wise. I think Katie Taylor is number one, and then it's Clarissa Shields. And then you got girls like Serrano and uh, McCaskill and a, a couple others, kind of right there with them, but just just under those two. And um, the thing is, with her, she's in a pretty good position. I don't know if they could lure Clarissa Shields to go down to 147, uh, but if they could, I'd be interested in seeing that fight. I'd like to see the rugged uh, style that McCaskill has in there against Clarissa Shields, a little weight drained. That'd be kind of interesting to see. I'd watch that fight. I don't want to watch it on pay-per-view and that's where it would go. But I would I would check it out. Um also if if Katie Taylor wanted to move up to maybe 140 and do a catchweight fight her and McCaskill do a rematch, I'd be interested in that fight too. So she's got options and we'll see what happens. Also on this card, uh, Hiroto Kyle Gucci improved a 15-0, TKO 5 win over Axel Vega, who had to retire due to hand injury, and there were all sorts of jokes about El Mini I've never seen a fighter under five feet tall fight for a world title like that. I, I just, I can't think of another situation like that in the modern era. So it was kind of funny. I wasn't trying to make fun, but you know, you just don't see dudes like that in the ring a whole lot. Um, but El Mini actually gave um, Kyle Gucci some problems. Uh, I think it was, just, it was awkward for him because Kyle is a tiny dude. So there's a dude in there even more tiny than him. And it's difficult as a taller guy sometimes to deal with a shorter guy. But in the end, the Japanese guy was going to stop Vega. I think that's pretty clear to see. All right, let's jump to the fight preview here. Oh, boy. Long show. But, man, lots of good stuff. Um, Ignacio Ortiz says, Mike Shields said she would fight Katie at 147 if Eddie Hearn pays her $1 million. Shake my damn head. Yeah, look, Clarissa needs to shut the hell up about Katie Taylor. I think... Because ring rates her number one, and maybe some other platforms do. I'm not sure, but we rate her number one pound for pound. She is the biggest star in female boxing in terms of box office, you know, selling tickets and, and TV ratings and things like that. Maybe that's why Clarissa's calling her out. Maybe it's somewhat of a nationalistic ethnic thing to a certain degree too. Why she's calling her out? Maybe they think that's it makes it more marketable. I just have zero interest in that. I mean, Clarissa Shields is basically a middleweight squeezing down to junior middleweight right now. Um, if she really could get down to one I'd much rather see, see her fight Jessica McCaskill. Who's a bigger girl, more rough, rugged. and has the welterweight hardware. So if you're going to fight there, do a one-off there, do it for the undisputed welterweight championship of the world. That truly would be pretty damn historic. And if she could do that and then move back up and wait, that would be pretty interesting. But I just, I don't want to see her fight Katie Taylor. I'd like to maybe see Taylor fight um, Serrano. Uh see her fight since McCaskill uh, beat Brekus. I'd I'd like to see that um, fight McCaskill again. She already beat her at 135, but you know, 40, 47, something like that. So there's a couple of fights I'd like to see, but that's just one of them I'm not interested in, man. Oh, super chat pledge from my man, John Uden. Thank you so much. He says, the biggest accomplishment of Canelo's career was getting the super middleweight division moving, and where is Serrano? Taylor fight never happened. Yeah, you're probably right about Canelo. Um, If he cleans up super middleweight, he'll become the most famous super middleweight champion ever. A lot of people have kind of – a lot of stars have kind of stopped by the super middleweight division or just skipped over it. Remember Bernard Hopkins, right? He went from 60 you just right to 75. He's like, eh, I don't need to fight at 68. Screw this. I just went right to 75. And there's been other guys who have done that. or They've made a pit stop like Roy Jones, you know, um, on their way to 75 and stuff. So if Cano stays there and cleans it out, kind of sets a precedent there. That That's, you know, that's good stuff. As far as Serrano, I see her posting stuff on social media all the time. I think she's got a fight coming up. But I, I honestly don't know because the, the thing with Taylor never happened. And that looked like it was more on her side. It didn't look like Taylor was ducking her or anything like that. So the onus is on her. And after, after that thing fell apart, she talked a lot of shit. Her side talked a lot of shit about Taylor's side. So the onus is really on them to try to clean that back up and get that deal. It's not on Katie Taylor's uh, side because the, from their position, they're like, dude, you talked a bunch of shit after you flaked on us. Fuck you. That's their position. and I don't blame them. All right, fight preview. This Thursday, March 18 in Puerto Rico, Gold Boy Promotions, NBC Sports Network. Alberto Machado, who is put from Puerto Rico, fighting Angel Fiero, a Mexican-born fighter who fights out of San Diego. Machado, of course, former title holder, had those two KO losses to Andrew Concio in 2019. I will be covering this event for ringtv.com, so look for my recap there. All right? I got you guys covered. Friday, March 19th, there's a Telemundo card from Florida. And MTK Global has a card in the UK that was picked up by ESPN+. You can check those out. Saturday, March 20th, we have three different events around the world. Let's start over in Russia, in Moscow. ESPN picked this card up. Artur Baturbiev going up against Adam Deans, who uh, my man Marquise talked about earlier in the show. He kind of said it all. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so Biterbiev did look, this fight should look like when Canelo fought Yildirim. That, that's the way this action should look. Uh, Uzbek Prospect, Azizbek Abdugufurov. Wow, that was a tough one. 13-0, <clears throat> he's also on this card. What I would like to see is Beterbiev destroy his opponent and then call out Dimitri Beevil and say, listen, Bevel, me, you, let's consolidate the titles, let's do this thing, get in the ring with me. I'd love to see that. I like fights that build to bigger fights. At Wembley in London, matchroom on the zone, Lawrence Okoli, 15-0, the 2016 Olympian, going up against former title holder Christoph Glowacki for the vacant WBO Cruiserweight title. The last time Glowacki from Poland fought was uh, TKO3 loss to Marius Bredis in 2019. He had no fights last year. So I like Okoli to win this fight and claim the WBO Cruiserweight title. Can Okoli be interesting? Can he be exciting? Can you score a highlight reel knockout here? That would be a big, big deal for him. Okay. Again, you got a guy that you're fighting coming off a TKO loss from almost two years ago. He's been stopped a couple times. Step up, my man, get him out of there. Give us something to talk about. And here in the United States at Dickies arena in Fort Worth, Texas, golden boy promotions on the zone. It is the battle of Texas. Virgil Ortiz, 16 0, 16 knockouts. Stopped every one of his opponents so far. Going up against Maurice Hooker, twenty-seven and one with eighteen knockouts. Uh, Ortiz is a big kid, five foot 10, 70 inch reach. But Hooker is a pretty big kid too. He's five foot eleven, with an eighty inch reach. He has super, super long arms. I was actually talking to my coach about that last week. We were talking about this fight. Uh, he's met Hooker a couple times. I've actually I've never met Maurice Hooker yet. I haven't talked to him yet, but um, he's got a light heavyweight reach. I mean, there are heavyweights with a shorter. He's probably got a bigger reach than Andy Ruiz. Think about that shit. This dude has a massive reach, 80 inches. Uh, so I it's going to be interesting to see because Virgil Ortiz has not fought a fighter this tall, this long, this skilled in his physical prime. And Hooker was kind of draining himself to make 140. This will be at 147. I think that helps him out. So the people that think Ortiz is just going to plow right through Maurice Hooker, I don't see that. I think that this is going to be the toughest challenge to date for Ortiz. Now, all that being said, if he really does blow away Maurice Hooker and destroys him and knocks him out in four or five rounds, man, that's impressive stuff. Really, really impressive stuff. But I expect this fight to go rounds. I still favor Ortiz, and I think that he's going to knock him out probably in the later rounds. But I think that Maurice Hooker is going to trouble Virgil Ortiz early on, um, not, not badly, but give him enough to think about to where this fight carries on and goes into those late rounds, into the second half. And that's where I think Ortiz is going to show us something, find another level, and get his guy out of there. So I like Ortiz. But I'm telling you, don't sleep on this fight and think that, oh, I don't need to watch that shit because he's going to just mow this guy down. A lot of you guys are thinking back to when Hooker lost to Ramirez, right? Remember, before that stoppage, Hooker had moments early in the first couple rounds of that fight. And then he just got caught. He just got clipped. It was a great performance by Ramirez. But remember, that was at 140. And I think 147 is going to help him a little bit. And Ortiz himself... He's only got 16 fights, right? So he's still a prospect, still coming up, still learning. So I hope that we see a 100% version of Maurice Hooker give Virgil Ortiz something to think about. And he has to make adjustments and grow up a little bit in front of our eyes. If he really blows this guy out and it's a completely one sided fight, I'll be very impressed. I think people underrate Maurice Hooker. I think he's a good fighter. I really, really believe that. So, um, yes, I favor Ortiz. But I think that it's going to be competitive. I think he's going to have to do a little bit of learning on the job and make some adjustments. And that's what I'm interested to see. So I'll be watching that one. Uh, If you guys want, man, maybe I could do a a live fight party or something. If you're interested, let me know in the comments section. And maybe we can do that one live on my YouTube channel. Other than that, let's get that outro music bumping. All right, guys. Uh, Man, good show. Great calls today. And uh, enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you to Brandon uh, Lee for being on the show at last minute. I appreciate that, man. We'll have you back on another time. All right, guys. I'll see you at the fights.